Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman Perks, and welcome back to my favorite time of the week. I'm very lucky to have an old friend of mine, Colonel Tim Wilson, who after a very successful army career, um, went out into business and is now the CEO of MSI Global Alliance, which is an alliance of uh, companies that are um, accounting firms and a law firm. So Tim, welcome, it's great Thank to have you, you here. So what should we what should we talk about? How about inspiring leadership and, and who's sure. in, who's inspired you? Yeah, um, I think the first person who really inspired me was someone called General Sam Cowan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who um, I was I was lucky enough to be his military assistant. So I was probably early thirties at the time, and he came in to this particular role with a bit of a whirlwind. Actually, he was a very very original thinker. He really challenged the status quo. Um, he challenged orthodoxy. He, he, he challenged people who were a bit comfortable in their views. Um, and it was very inspiring to watch him try to change a culture, really, in mm. many ways, and the yeah. organization that he, he was running. He was a, a, a force of nature. Yeah, he was. He was very, very impressive. And, and for what was always the sort of the uncool part of the army compared to the cavalry and yeah, yeah. The, <laughs> the infantry uh, in the Royal Signals, which yes. I was in for, for half my career, yeah. he, he was a legend, yeah. you know, yeah. because not only did he do the communication side well, but he then went to the mainstream generalship and yes. leadership and made a huge difference. Yeah, he did. He did, absolutely. And then, and then subsequent to that, I was lucky enough to work for General Mike Jackson, who, who, who after, he, he, at the time, he was, he was uh, running a division in, in, in Bosnia. It was the first NATO deployment um, mm. in, in, in Bosnia. And I was his operations officer, effectively. Big job. And great job. Um, but he was someone who had huge moral courage and strength and was, was also massively charismatic. Mm. Um, and, and one could see that in his negotiations with the former you know, former fighting parties, really, in, in former Yugoslavia. He didn't, he didn't take any prisoners. He didn't take any prisoners at all. But he was also someone who, it, he was fun to work for. Right. Um, you know, he, he, one was happy to work ridiculously long hours. Yeah, you probably put in incredible hours. Oh, sort of, yeah, 18, 19, 20 hours a day. So it was pretty normal. But but one was happy to do it for for him. And, um, you know, he, he, was, he was very, he was prepared to congratulate you on decent work. That's important. Uh, Many, many it's a very good that, culture, right? a very yeah. good culture to work, work, work in. Actually. But it, just, just staying with that one, it, appreciating the work people do, correct, really important. And some take you for granted. They do, and just go, well, look, we pay you, so just get under. And this, yeah. this is in business as well. It's a problem. Um, but I think never underestimate the power of je- authentic appreciation. Correct. Absolutely yeah. right. Good. Absolutely right. Okay. And um, there's a number of others that we'll talk about in, mm. in our inspiring leadership extra session later on. 
But um, then, then you were, uh, as one of your uh, many exciting roles, as well as being sort of military assistants to generals and things, you, you were commanding officer of your own regiment, the Crown yeah. Dragoon Guards. So the, sure. The, the thing that everybody wants to, to command their own yeah. regiment. Um, and, and that had some good learnings. I mean, yeah, I understand you went to uh, Iraq. Correct, yeah. With, with yeah. A, a tank regiment, which is fascinating. Um, what was, what was the, the highlight of that tour? And then what was the learning that you had about you know how you could have got it better sure, learning sure. From, from your mistakes and yeah stuff. I, I suppose the highlight was you know commanding your your own regiment on operations and that's the sort of dream that everyone always has when you're a sort of you know young officer was it pretty um, pretty hairy at times? it was quite hairy at times it was not the most demanding of tours into you know when i compare it to some other people's tours um certainly the tour just six months before us had been really really tough um, so and and we were lucky, you know, to come back with everyone, oh, which, which was well, was, was fantastic. And I know that, case. you know, my regiment went back, uh, you know, about a year or so later, and, and you know, unfortunately lost a, a number of people killed, which was which was really tragic. But but when I look back at how one could have done something better, yeah, I think that probably my approach at that time was much more sort of directed. Yeah, element of command and control. I suppose to a certain extent you're driven down that because you are on operations. Because your intention behind doing that was what? Was to ensure that things were done as efficiently, as effectively as possible. But I think that you make a very good point there because actually that what that in, instinctively demonstrates is perhaps it was a, a lack of trust that I had. Yeah. And, and I think that even in an operational environment, I think you can still approach life in a more collegiate way yeah. and trust people a little bit more. So if I look back, that's perhaps what I would have, would have done differently. Yeah, and, and this brings up the, um, the very powerful uh, differentiation between in business, mm. um, a number of leaders like to have, uh, they're perfectionists and they like to control everything and be down in the boiler room yeah. when actually they need to be up on the balcony of the Titanic, seeing the iceberg three miles out and going one degree left. Mm. Okay. Everything else. All right. Carry on, you know, and, and that stops a disaster. But when they're down in the boiler room, they'll yeah. never spot the no, iceberg. Exactly. And they're doing someone's job. Correct. And um, I think it's interesting. I mean, I, the, the Wellington, when, when Wellington became prime minister, and you probably know this quote, tell me story, that, that when he became prime minister, he, he wrote to a relative of his and um, he said, I had my first cabinet meeting today. Extraordinary affair. Um, I gave them their orders. And they stayed and wanted to discuss it. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and, and I think that that, that demonstrates the, sort of the contrast, if yeah. you like, between the military and the, and the civilian yeah. life. Yeah. And, 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 but, but it was interesting because I think that even, even post-command, I, I, saw, I saw some very successful senior officers yeah. who had, had, had really taken this collegiate um, uh, approach, you know, to, to, to its extreme in a way and, and, and were very effective as a result of that. Yeah. I saw others who continued this command and control yeah. and this directed element. And actually, in some cases, they, they'd gone to the extreme and became sort of bullies. Yeah. I know that, you yeah. know, that's been mentioned in your, yeah. your podcast before. Yeah. And that becomes a very unpleasant environment to be in. Yeah. Um, but I think certainly, you know, having gone into the civilian world, you know, a lot of this logged. Yeah. And, and, and I realised that 
you know, one's got to be um, collegiate. Well, particularly got to people get people on side. Particularly in MSI Global Alliance, where you've you've got to influence. Uh, you don't have the power. You've got no. to influence these different firms who are going to refer business to each other around the world, yeah. uh, and and you've got to ask them, encourage them, cajole them yes. to collaborate with each Correct. other. And you can't do So what you're doing now is the other aspect of what they talk about. Rather than command and control, you're doing environmental control, yes. where you're creating Absolutely. an environment where people flourish and help each other and have this collegiate approach. Yes, totally. Um, our, our last minute, um, yeah. what would be your top tip that you would, you would give people, a, a top leadership tip well, to take away? I think collaboration is, is probably number one. I think that whatever decisions you feel you want to bring about, I think you need to collaborate, you need to socialize. I used to hate that word mm. when I was in the army, but I think it's a really powerful word, socialize an idea, get buy-in. Yeah. Um, I think once you've then got the buy-in, you can then frame a vision, frame a strategy, frame an idea. And then you need to be able to explain that mm. you know, confidently and back it up, um, but but give people a very, very clear idea of where you want the organization to go. I think you then need to obviously sort of check that that that, that everyone is is continuing to buy into that and and refresh, if you like, as well. Yeah. And then I suppose the third one is to is to keep innovating. It comes back to, mm. to General Sam Cowan, you know, challenge the status quo, see how you can do things differently, um, and bring about change Fantastic. if it's appropriate. Tim, that's brilliant. Thank you very much indeed. It's no, a real pleasure. And congratulations on your role. And, Thank you, Johnny. And a very successful military career. Thanks a lot. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks, and welcome back to my session with uh, Colonel Tim Wilson. We're doing Time to Think Extra, as I call it. We're going to go into a bit more detail about Tim's life and his experiences and what he's learned about leadership so that those tips and techniques can be passed on to you all who are listening. So, Tim, um, great to have you on this second part of the series. Um, I'm really interested in, in your upbringing and, and how that's influenced you as mm. a leader. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, um, well, my father was very influential, I think, in many ways, as my, as my mother was as well. But I think, you know, particularly my father, and he was he was a man of, of huge moral and physical strength. Actually, he'd been a, a very very good rugby player in his day. He played oh. for played for Leicester, played for combined services. Oh, really? and, uh, um, but he was someone who had very very strong values. Um, but but he also had that wonderful ability, as Kipling said, to to to, to walk with um, walk with kings, um, and but also be able to. Oh, I forget what the phrase. Talk to the common talk, man. Talk, talk, talk. Do you want to redo that? Yeah, he can walk with kings. Talk to the common yeah, man. Yeah. No, it's, it's, great. Redo that. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. Keep going. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, yeah, so, so he, was, he was wonderful from that point of view. Um, that's a real ability. He had massive, fantastic values, really. Um, and then I suppose, you know, the other influence, of course, is school. School's always going to be influential. Yeah, and where did you go to school? Uh, I went to school at Haleybury. Yeah. Um, at the time, it was called Haleybury Imperial Service College. So oh. it had a bit of a military connection. Yeah. Um, I loved my sport when I was there. What was your sport? Um, so played rugby and, uh, and and did athletics as well. Yeah. So and you um, kept that rugby going. And I kept it. that going. Um, I sort of I, I had to sort of stop it a little bit. Eh? When I joined the army, I sort of decided to get into bobsleighing. Oh wow! Um, really? It's slightly foolhardy. Did um, you do the uh, cresta? Not well. It, I did it at St Moritz, but it didn't do the crest. So it, it, it was a it was a two man bob basically. Which wow. I did. 
And, and what um, sort of level did you do that for, for your regiment? I, I did it sort of regimental and in the army championships, basically. Wow. Um, and uh, that was great fun, but the trouble is that I then ended up having quite a significant accident. Oh no, really? Um, and I was in rehab for about so six months. What? As a result of it. What did you do? What I broke my kneecap, and, uh, and, and, and I went to what has now become very famous, on Headley Court. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and obviously became very famous with some very, very bad injuries subsequently yeah. of, of people, particularly in Afghanistan and Iraq. Gosh. But um, so I spent six months there. And, did that and put that, you off your rugby forever? And that sort of, I stopped rugby then. And then, um, and then I got to find myself at South College with you, Johnny. And, um, and, and someone said, well, why don't you sort of play a bit of rugby, Tim? And I thought, well, I'll give this a go. And so I sort of, having had a sort of interregnum of five or six years, I started playing rugby again. And, and was uh, it right? And it was fine. I wasn't quite as fast as I used to be. Yeah. But actually, by the time you're 32, you're not going to be very fast anyway. But it was great fun. But that, yeah, it was, was it called fun. the Owls? The it? Owls, yeah. yeah. Quite a powerful group of individuals who all actually were all very successful officers, weren't they? They were. Is there a connection between rugby and leadership? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, possibly. I think... I think who, was the, who was the crowd with you? Well, I mean, some people from your podcast, actually. I mean, Tim Collins was, was, yeah. was in the team. Um, we had... Uh, um, Jim Richardson yeah. was in the team. Um, uh, who else did we have? We had um, Ed Butler was in the team. You know, so yeah. I mean, there was a there was a there was a, a, a sort of large um, Tom Beckett. Yeah. So it was quite a large crowd actually. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I think sort of team sports, particularly something like rugby, you know, you you you've not got to be part of the team and, you, and you've got to contribute. You, yeah. They don't want necessarily shrinking violets in a, in a rugby team. And so yeah. you do tend to have, in some cases, sort of rather large personalities. <laughs> <laughs> they were the bigger personalities, um, of course. But I just want to take you back for a moment. We, we talked about father and his influence and he was a great sporting man and a vegan. Yeah. Um, but also, let's not dance over mother too. Yeah, because yeah. Because I think many people's mothers influence them in yes. just as equally a powerful, but a different way. Yeah, definitely. You know, you have good level of emotional and social intelligence, which many of our army colleagues probably didn't have. Yeah. The more blunter ones in the rugby team uh, lacked that emotional intelligence. But you, I do respect you for it. Did that come from mother? Or, or yeah, what, I think definitely. I think mother, mother was was again very very strong values, um, and you know she, my mother's still alive, and, and you know she, her values have, have stayed with, with her forever, and, mm. and I think that those are very very powerful. And I think that you know I remember in the army uh, there was a time in the sort of the uh, sort of the end of the nineties, beginning into in the two thousands when. When when the UK forces were committed to to Afghanistan, Iraq, and then through the through the you know the early 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 part of this century, that there were a few wobbles in terms of military values, and um, you know General Richard Dannett, who was the chief of the general staff, um, right, come on, you who you know well, mm. he, you know he very much pushed. The, the army corps values. Yeah, is he called it the covenant? Time. The, the covenant, exactly. Uh, that covenant. we have it between the the people, the country, and the army, and what we'll do for you in return. Well, there was that, and there was also the the key military values, which he, yeah. which he expected people to uphold. And you know, I think that what were they? There was sort of um, uh, selfless um, commitment, um, a respect for others, loyalty, um, integrity, 
um, discipline and courage. That's great. You know, moral courage as well as mm. physical courage. Mm. And, 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 and I could absolutely see those because actually my mother, coming back to my mother, you know, she, she was someone who, who has that in spades. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I felt that the, the articulation that, that Richard Dannett had, had put down, mm. it had real resonance with me. And, and, and actually, I've, I've sort of tried to, to live my life and, and conduct my work you know, with those in the background. I think those, those military values were, were really powerful, actually. That's really good. And, and what did you, and I think it's very powerful to have that, if, if, when, you, when you find organizations, businesses mm. that are without values or they have platitudes on the wall, like, you know, we're like, it, it can really drift. And, yeah. and you're working with a whole range of different firms. Uh, what happens when people don't have values? Because you've mm. come across them, mm. you, know, you know, they're just greedy for maximizing shareholder value. Um, yes. I mean, I, I think that people have often asked me, do you miss the army? And, and, and I, in my response to that is, is, is I miss the people sometimes in the army. And the reason I miss the people is that, is that I felt that there was an inherent integrity loyalty loyalty in in you know peers to peers loyalty to superiors loyalty to subordinates as well you know three-way loyalty and i think that it's those two aspects which i think are very very powerful in the military i think that in a lot of organizations in in the commercial world people may talk about integrity loyalty and have those one of their values i don't think necessarily everyone is is by any stretch of the imagination um, you know, walking the talk. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I think that you've really got to get to know people um, in, in the commercial world before you can genuinely trust them. Yeah. Because there isn't that inherent inbuilt integrity and loyalty which you might have within the military world. Well, also, the, uh, the other thing is, you know, I reckon they would have spent £250,000 developing you. Yes. Uh, throughout all these different courses that yeah. you did, all the training that you had. And, and I find in business, if someone is going to spend £2,500, even £25,000 on someone, they go, oh, that's an awful lot of money. Yes, uh, yes. Why, why should we develop that leader? Well, that's a lot of money. But the, if you think yeah. if you think education's expensive, try the cost of ignorance. Yes. You know, and, and, and they don't realize that, oh, we'll cut back on training and developing people because we don't need, you know, yeah. we'll make a saving on leadership this year. Big mistake. It Big is. Mistake. I, I totally agree. And I think that it's, it's interesting that, you know, if you've had let's say 20 years in, in the military, it's been a, a constant, constant training education process, both formal training, but also you know, coaching, if you like, throughout mm. your career. And I think you're absolutely right. In, 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 in the commercial world, you, you may get a little, you know, post your degree, let's say, you may have a little bit of training you know, in, your, in your first job, and then you sort of, then you're left. You might, yeah. you might take yourself off to do an MBA or something, but fundamentally, you could go right the way through your career. And, and, and I'm working with lawyers and accountants. They, they might be sort of, might, might have trained as a, as a lawyer or accountant in the first instance, but, but probably won't end up getting any training at all. And then they suddenly find themselves as a managing partner. Mm. And, and, and they may be very, very good as a rainmaker, getting getting the money in, um, 
but but actually how effective are they as as as, as managers and and so they're, they're sometimes being judged on their ability as a rainmaker and they're elevated appropriately to partner level and then maybe even to that managing partner um, but but they're not necessarily... They're not given any leadership development. Well, they're not given the opportunity, actually. And so you, you can't necessarily criticise the no. individual. No. They're, they're not given the opportunity. And I think that you know that's where that, that's a continual training process. The good firms will do it, or the bigger firms might be able to do it. Smaller firms, it's more difficult because, as you said, it, it comes down to, to, to cost. And, and it's yeah. one of those things, it's sort of almost like, you know, you cut your marketing, you cut your your leadership and development. Uh, you, you know, because those are the things you can cut. Yeah. Um, and um, and that, and sometimes it's foolhardy to cut both of those. Actually. Well, it's 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 this this getting people to work for you willingly yeah. and, and to give their discretionary life energy yeah, yeah. to the benefit of the firm, and they'll only tend to do that when they feel that people genuinely care about them. Yes. And particularly, you and I have got millennial children, um, and. Uh, you know, they they know that they won't be as wealthy as their parents' generation, mm. and, and times will be tougher. Not, I mean, as in being able to buy their own houses necessarily. It's mm. just so crippling for some of them. Um, well, for all of them, it's crippling. But just some of them will never make that hurdle. So they'll always be renting or whatever. So they go for experiences. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they want to be given a good experience, and they're not going to stay forever in that no. firm. Certainly, a number of the accountants and lawyers I know, they're, they're really frustrated. They can't keep their staff. Yeah. There's a huge turnover yeah. of young staff. They go, well, really, is this it? Yeah, well, yeah. why can't I be like you now? Well, you know, you've got to, you've got to serve time. Well, they don't believe in serving time. They go, no, no, no. You know, develop me, train me, and I'm, I may move on. Yes. Um, but, you know, don't develop them, and what's worse is they'll stay. You train them and they leave, okay, that's a risk. Yeah. You might train them and they stay for a while, but you've got to be prepared for that moving on. What have, what have you found with all your different accounting firms and your law Well, firms? I think that absolute resonance of what you said in terms of that sort of the, the contrast between, I, I found out the other day that you and I are baby boomers actually, which yeah, right, yeah. I hadn't really realized I was a baby boomer, but we are baby boomers and, and the millennials. And I think it's, there is, a, there is a potential, there is a conflict there. I think that the, I've heard baby boomer managing partners you know, saying how dreadful the millennials are, they want this, they want that. But equally, I've had conversations with millennials who get frustrated by, in some cases, these dinosaurs mm. who, 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 who don't realise that life has moved on. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and actually, I, 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 I think it's too easy to compartmentalise. And I think that what any organisation needs to be doing is it needs to be changing, evolving, adapting, um, to meet the environment. Well, um, well, this is where we we need, you know, the creativity that you got from people like Sam Cow and Mike Jackson, and also Andrew Graham. Yes. You talk about Sam and and and, and Mike. Maybe you might want to come back and. Yeah. Do, what about people like General uh, Andrew Graham? Yeah. Well, I first came across him when I was um, a student at Staff College with you, Johnny, and um, he he was my um, sort of instructor, basically. And um, he, he, he sat me down for my appraisal at the end of this sort of 10 week, five week, whatever, I can't remember how long it was, sort of period. And he said, Tim, you like your ducks in a row, don't you? And no one had ever used that expression to me before. And, and I reflected on it a little bit. And actually, I, I was in many ways a sort of 
victim is the wrong word, but uh, but but I was a sort of victim of my of my military upbringing, shaped where, by it, right. shaped by you were an ADC, right? I've been an, 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 an aide de camp, so an assistant to, to a general when I was a sort of captain, and where he was very good is that he he really sorted out. You know, my process, my efficiency, my professionalism, my punctuality, all of those things which were really important. But I sort of thought that was what, you know, being a good, a good officer was all about or a good leader was all mm. about. Mm. And so I arrived at, at Staff College and, and Andrew Graham was, was, was not using that necessarily in a complimentary way. <laughs> He was a very charming chap, but he, he wasn't necessarily using it in a complimentary way. And, and actually, I was able to learn from him because he was someone who was, who was very much an alternative thinker. I mean, someone who had, you know, a hundred different ideas a minute. Um, and, and he ended up, you know, very, very senior ranking um, officer. But he had huge charm as well. Um, he was very much a rounded individual, is very much a rounded individual. I still see him occasionally. But he, he, suddenly I, 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 I was able to learn from him that life is not black and white. It doesn't work in straight lines. That you've got to look at the bigger picture. You've got to sort of realize there's areas of gray. Your whole approach to leadership has to be has to be different. Mm. Um, and and you need to to look at innovation actually, and look at change, and and not just plow on through. Which is perhaps where I've been, um, you know, as I say, a victim mm. of, of, of my mm. previous sort of military experience. I, I think that's so accurate and. Um, personally, I, I keep trying to learn by reading or meeting leaders like yeah. yourself and, and learning from you and others. I, I always find these conversations really enlightening. Um, I mean, I'm semi-dyslexic, not massively so, but it, it's, it has been a challenge for me reading. So um, I, I find I listen to audiobooks. Yeah. And I've got a, almost obsessive about this. So I'll listen to 80 audiobooks on neuroscience and leadership so I can share it with people here. But uh, it was interesting, one of the guys who's going to come on one of the podcasts is a guy called Nathan Newton-Willington. Now, Nathan's only 30 and he's a personal trainer, set up his own ladies' gym. Uh, his story is a fascinating one to listen to. But he said, I never read yeah. at all. He said, I watched videos and that's what changed my life sure, sure. And, and, and as a young young inspiring leader what's influenced you as a leader well i think definitely um you know reading around the subject um there's no there's no doubt about that i think but i think probably it's 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 it has been observing people, uh, and we've 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 sort of latched onto a few people already, and uh, and actually I think that there there is a, there's a negative side as well because I've also you know learnt from from poor leaders in the past. Well, that's, they teach you a lot, don't they? They do. Yeah, they do. And, and I think it's really important. Everybody has something to teach you. Yeah. If only you'd listen and learn. Now yeah. it could be how not to do things. Correct. Uh, to talk right. a little bit, we we got some good time. Yeah, talk a little bit about the people that you've. No need to mention any names. No. It's important you don't. But but the the bad the misleaders, the the uh, expiring leaders, yeah. the, the bullies. The what was it they were doing that is so wrong? And we discourage people from listening to do. I, I, I think that I, I mean I can think of a few people who sort of 
well, actually in both the military and the commercial world, who, who sort of led by fear. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, we've t- we touched a little bit earlier on about sort of, you know, directed leadership, command and control leadership. And, and, and I think that's not good generally. I mean, I think it can be, if you want to charge a particular hill, I think you, you want to be pretty directive mm. and, um, and, and very much sort of command and control. But I think that, you know, if you're working in a sort of an organization, generally you need to be much more collegiate and get people on side. It's that element of collaboration, which I think is really important. So I, I think that the, the command and control can, can become very unhealthy. Yeah. Um, I, I think in, its, in, its, in itself, it's not a bad thing necessarily in certain environments, but it can become very unhealthy and it can create the wrong culture. And I think, you know, I've I, I worked in the military where, you know, it, 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 it could be a really unpleasant environment mm. and it stemmed from it's a very hierarchical organization, the military. And if the one person at the, at the, the top of that hierarchy is actually sort of sucking the energy out of mm. the room yeah. and is really imposing it under fear in, in, in all sorts of people, it, it completely destroys any form of innovation. Um, people don't feel trusted. Um, and people feel really demotivated, and, and I saw, and I saw this actually, you know, in in uh, in, in the commercial world as well, and um, you know where, uh, you know, I worked for a um, my my first role worked for a really really good guy as chief executive. Um, who trusted me, he brought me in out of the military, mm. he gave me this director job, he trusted me, gave me a fair amount of autonomy. And that was really great. I, I really enjoyed that and, and got a good, had a very good relationship with him. But I saw the relationship he had with his chairman and the chairman was a bully. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was pretty unpleasant actually. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I saw he was, he was ground down yeah. by this, this bully. He was a talented guy, but very, very directed very opinionated, this is what's going to happen, mm. which is not a very healthy relationship anyway between a chairman no. and a chief executive, um, but it meant that the poor chief executive was really ground down. That was very unpleasant to see, yeah. actually. And, it, and what you say is really accurate, and we've um, brought up something interesting here that you, uh, Alistair Kett was saying this, uh, PwC partner, that looking back on reflection you know when you were well led by mm, Sam sure. Cowell or probably knew at the time actually yeah, yeah. Cases, or Mike Jackson or Andrew Graham or people like that but when you've got a toxic environment you know instantly you're going home to your wife or yes. your partner and saying this is just killing me or it's yes. getting to my I can't stomach it you use words around your body mm. often mm. somatically mm. Uh, I, I just I, you know it gives me a, a headache this guy is it's just threatening me it's dangerous it's it's toxic it's and and you and I in our roles, myself as a sort of leadership and team coach to teams, when we go into organizations and, and you mm. in, in your firm, you get a sense that, mm. that, that what we mm. call fingerspitzgefühl, that yes, fingertip feel right. in, in uh, Auftrag's tactic, that sort of mission command. You get a feel for whether it's a good organization mm. or there's something's amiss. You do, definitely. And, and you know, we, we're a membership organization. So, so these independent firms join us 
um, to become members so that they can basically, you know, refer business around the world. And that's that's the, that's the, 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 the start point. And uh, so routinely, I'm going to visit potential new members all around the world. And, um, and I deliberately go on a visit to actually, I don't do it by Skype, I don't do it by telephone in terms of my sort of due diligence. Mm. A key part of the due diligence of those potential members is to actually physically go and visit them. Yeah. Because you, you, you first of all need to see, you know, it, 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 have they actually got an office? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but actually, I think more importantly, coming back to what you were saying, you, you need to get that, that feel as to whether this is a professional organization. Now, I'm not a lawyer or an accountant, so I can't necessarily sort of go into, into their books and, 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 and really sort of identify whether they are, you know, 100% professional. I can do that with, maybe with other people with references, but what I can do is get a real feel for whether this is a well-led, well-organized, yeah. um, professional organization and you get that feel you do uh, and you and, and you you can go in and and you know cult, culture is a, is a fascinating subject oh. because I never really realized what culture was about until I came to the commercial world and um, and I and I realized that there is a, a military culture there's a subculture within the military as well which we we know um, but culture is vastly different in the commercial world. Um, and what I mean by that is that there are some, some cultures which, which are very, very easy to read across to a military culture, um, but there are others which are massively different. And, mm. and you've got to be quite, you've got to, first of all, going into a particular job, you've got to be comfortable with that particular mm. culture mm. and you've got to identify which culture sort of suits you. But you've got to also see which is a, an effective culture yeah. you know which and of course in the commercial world you're driven by by you know financial efficiency yeah um that can impact negatively on culture yeah so you know you've got to get the balance right you can't just be all about PL. yeah um, there has to be more to it than that and, and 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 you know if you if you look at the wider aspects of, of leadership management culture then that will subliminally contribute towards the PLL. It will, and it's it's a bit like Virgin saying, you know, focus on your people, and your people look after your customers, yeah. and then you'll make lots of money. Yeah. Um, okay. So in the final wrap up, Tim, mm. what would what would be a last sort of top tip that you'd like to leave with listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think that I think this whole aspect of of, of collaboration and, and and discussion and and being collegiate, I think, is really important. So that you get people's views, get their opinions, but you've got still got to make a decision, though. Yes. You know, you, the, the, I know people who will just go round round circles no. trying you to get need a view. To be decisive. You, you you've got to to go with your instincts sometimes, actually. Yeah. Um, but but make sure that people are bored. Brought, brought in and, and, and do listen. And it's not just the person who shouts the loudest, it's, it's actually could be the quietest person in the corner who may have a really relevant yeah. comment to make. And I think to try and bring everyone into the debate, I think is important. For, for, for me, with an international organization, it's, it's important to identify different cultures mm. and get different perspectives and views. So I think that that, that sort of uh, that collegiate element is really important. But I think that then you've got to give 
you, you, you've got to think strategically. You've got to identify what, what is your vision? Where do you want this organization to go? Mm. And, and you know, in, in broad outline, what are your objectives in order to, to, to meet that vision? Um, and, and I think you want to be, you still want to, you, you've got to lead and manage. Um, and you've got to make sure that you're not just floating in the strategic. You've got to be prepared to get into the, the, the tactical or operational level. Yeah. But, but get the balance right, um, I think is really important. Tim, yeah. thank you very much indeed. Really enjoyed having you yeah, on the great, show. Great to be here, John. And uh, good luck with business. Thank you very much, and you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.